Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the podcast segment of our show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 435th show is Dr. Jamie Tahari, professor of anthropology at Durham University who will be talking to us about the true age of fairy tales. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. And Terry, start us off. Jamie, in your article, you talk about one of the fairy tales called The Smith and the Devil, that it actually Mm. goes back to the Bronze Age. And so I'm curious how this story lasted so long and was was retold. What does it teach us about ourselves, especially the kind of monsters that perhaps we still fear today? Well, th- thank you for the question, and thank you for having me um, on the on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, the Smith and the Devil is uh, one of the stories that we included in our study, looking at uh, the the deep roots of Indo-European folk tales. And of all the tales we looked at, uh, it seems like the Smith and the Devil uh, is the one that we can trace back the deepest into our past. So The Smith and the Devil, uh, uh, according to our findings, appears to be a story that uh, was around in the Bronze Age, that was present in the last common ancestor of all uh, surviving Indo-European-speaking peoples. And just to briefly, um, because I'm sure many of your listeners uh, may not have come across this um, folktale, at least in the kind of traditional version of the folktale that, um, that, that we looked at, Uh, It's a story about a blacksmith who's incredibly ambitious and he wants to achieve supernatural mastery over his craft. So in order to do that, he makes a deal with the devil. Now, in some countries and some places and in in some different times as well, it hasn't always been the devil. Uh, It's been some other malevolent supernatural figure, uh, often the personification of, of death itself. Um, But the deal he makes is that he'll give up his soul, um, and in return he'll get this amazing ability to be able to weld any kinds of materials together. So not just to create metallic uh, alloys, but, you know, he'll be able to kind of, you know, get anything to stick together. And uh, so the devil agrees to this, and um, the blacksmith gets this amazing power. And the first thing he does is he sticks the devil to the spot and he won't let the devil move until the devil releases him from his side of the bargain. So he basically outwits the devil, he tricks the devil, he gets this amazing power without having to give up his soul. Um, So um, we were really fascinated that this turned out to be uh, such an ancient story, not least because... There have been quite a lot of debates about who the first Indo-Europeans were. Were they Neolithic farmers uh, or um, were they a kind of Bronze Age um, civilization, which is something that would have happened much later than the Neolithic, the kind of very earliest farmers started kind of, you know, spreading around uh, Eurasia very incrementally versus these Bronze Age um, peoples who kind of spread very rapidly and more, more recently. Um, and clearly a story that's basically about pyrotechnic metallurgy it, it sits much more obviously within, the bron- within a Bronze Age context than within um, you know, a much older Neolithic period. So there was that, but you know, first of all, we found that fascinating in terms of what the 
um, discovery about the antiquity of that story can tell us about Indo-European origins and, you know, provides a really interesting line of evidence that complements work in archaeology and, and uh, genetics and, and uh, historical linguistics. But it's also interesting as a story itself because um, in many ways the blacksmith is not a conventional fairy tale hero. He's not somebody who's uh, I mean, I guess you'd say he's not a particularly good guy. I mean, he's um, he's ambitious. Um, he's sort of obviously quite um, selfish or power hungry, and he's also um, you know not very, clearly not very trustworthy because you know the first thing he does is he breaks the the deal that he made with the devil, and um, so it's kind of interesting that that story is one that has been so stable because it doesn't really feature a very conventional hero. It features a different kind of figure instead, often uh, called a trickster. Um, and those are also figures that are very popular in folk tales, if not in many modern fairy tales. And I think it's partly because that is something that we all need to always be on our toes um, about, is that, you know, there are people out there who will try and trick you or try and deceive you. So it's natural that that's a kind of compelling theme in uh, traditional stories i i think um now where the where there is some moral purchase in this story is uh that clearly the victim of the deception in this case is the devil or it's death you know it's it's you know not one of the not one of the good guys um and i wonder whether that's also something that's been quite important in terms of the survival of this story that it wouldn't have probably been as successful if you know, the blacksmith had been just a completely immoral, you know, um, figure who'd been going around kind of fooling, you know, sort of his neighbors and family members and so on. That's not something you typically find. Where you find these tricksters in um, folk tales, usually their targets or victims are outsiders or villains of some kind. Um, of course, if listeners do recognize this story, um, it's quite likely that where it might be ringing a bell is, is the Faustus legend, you know, the, yeah. um, the idea of the kind of, you know, yeah, doctor who kind of, you know, wants to, you know, get, gain all knowledge and, and sells his soul, and he meets a very sticky end. So um, what's kind of interesting is that in many modern versions of the story, you don't get um, the blacksmith being rewarded. There is a kind of sense in which he does get his comeuppance. You know, there is a sort of punishment for him. He ends up in hell, literally. Um, and um, so that's a sort of interesting twist. It's become a kind of darker story over time, or as it's diverged into these new forms like the Faustus legend. I mean, it's one that we actually find quite often even today. So, you know, um, I forget his name now, but there's a great blues guitarist. What's his name? He sold his soul to the Robert world. Johnson. <laughs> Robert Johnson. There you go. Robert Johnson. So that's an, another iteration of this blacksmith story. Yeah. Um, uh, Paganini, famous, uh, you know, accomplished violinist, is alleged to have done the same thing. So, yeah, it's a kind of obviously very compelling story and this idea that you know, you can become, you know, all powerful or all knowledgeable or, or all, you know, you know, super skilled in something. But the um, the cost is is no less than your your very humanity or, or, or your very soul. And and most kind of modern versions of this figure don't get the reward that the blacksmith got. All right, Rick. 
Jamie, you uh, made a comment uh, in the introduction about uh, fairy tales generally are ordinary people put in extraordinary circumstances. And you're talking uh, with uh, Terry about the uh, Smith and the Devil where Smith wins. Are there other themes that uh, uh, parallels and similarities of the fairy tales that you studied from various cultures that uh, seem to pop up no matter where you were, uh, where you are on the planet. Uh, you mean like that, uh, like the blacksmith figure? Yeah, the blacksmith, and you know, it's uh, you know, cheating the devil, you know, uh, yeah, empowered yeah, women, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think you get quite a lot of them. I mean, I, I, um, I'm right now working on a, a study uh, that's about uh, Cinderella, which was led by one of my. PhD students, Jessica Martini, who did a, who's done this fantastic kind of global study of Cinderella stories. And the, um, certainly that Cinderella tale is, you know, it's obviously a very famous, um, you know, tale in, in Western fairy tale traditions, but actually you find it all over the place. You find it in kind of Egypt, in Iran, in China, um, you know, all, literally all over, all over the place. And again, you get these different variations on the story but one of the really common features is about a uh, is essentially that the the hero usually a woman not always instantly but usually a a a young girl who's been orphaned or who's mistreated by her parents um and yet because of her intrinsic good nature and 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 good qualities is um you know, ends up being the one to um, to rule the land, marry the prince, etc. Um, and that's an incredibly kind of common theme that you find, a uh, very common story type that you find all over the world, again, in different forms um, to suit specific local conditions and circumstances. But it's clearly something about that story that really kind of speaks to, speaks to us everywhere. All right, Terry, do you have one more question? Yes, I do. Yes, when you mentioned the Cinderella story, I know one of my students' favorite stories that we would read was Sootface, which was an Ojibwa uh, Cinderella story from the Southwest. Oh, yeah. yeah, and so, but my question is, do you have a favorite fairy tale of all the ones that you've researched or maybe perhaps ones from your childhood, and why? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I love the, I, I love the Smith of the Devil because it's one that I didn't actually know until I started doing this research and then discovered it. And, and obviously because of its significance, um, you know, I, I definitely fell in love with that story and there are so many fascinating variants of it. But I think that, um, that probably my favorite, um, story is, um, and again, you get lots of different versions of it. Um, it's the, it's often known as the Bishop and the King, um, where, a, I mean, do you want me to do you want me to tell you the? Uh, to tell yes, you the quickly, please. <laughs> okay, yeah, first time. So, um, so there was a um, a king who um, he's trying to bring the you know the, his bishop down to down to size and curtail his power. So, invites him to the court, and um, he basically says, "Look, I'm going to throw you in the dungeon and take away all your wealth and money and power um, unless you're able to answer." three questions and um the the first question is um how long does it how long would it take to go around the entire earth um the second question is um how much am i worth 
And the third question is, what am I thinking? Um, and the bishop kind of has no idea how to answer these questions, so he begs to be given a day to think about it. And he goes off and, and starts walking through the city, through the streets, and ends up in the countryside, um, lost in thought, until he bumps into a shepherd. And the shepherd says to him, you know, why are you looking so troubled? And the bishop says, well, the king wants me to answer these three questions, but they're totally impossible to answer, so I don't know what to do. And the shepherd says, well... Give me your bishop's cloak, and I will go in disguise as you, and I will answer those questions. And if I get them wrong, it will be me that gets thrown in the dungeon, and at least you get to keep your liberty. So the bishop agrees to this, and the next day the shepherd turns up at court, and the king says, you know, so have you figured out the answers to my questions? And um, the, the bishop, who's obviously the shepherd, says, I have your sire. I, I have my sire. Um, so the first question... Um, how long would it take to go around the earth? And um, the, um, the shepherd answers, it would take um, an entire day and night because um, when I go to bed at night, I can see the moon rising and then the moon goes down and then the next night it comes back. So it obviously takes that long to go around the earth. So the king says, all right, I'll give you that one. What about the second question? How much am I worth? And um, the shepherd says um, you're worth 29 pieces of silver and the king says how did you figure that out he says well because jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver and you're nearly as precious to your people as as jesus so i'll say 29 and so the king laughs and says you're a clever guy but uh, what about my third question and at that point the shepherd says to him you're thinking that i'm the bishop but then he takes off the robe he says but actually, I'm a shepherd in disguise. <laughs> and uh, the king is delighted by this, and he ends up um, giving the bishop back all his wealth and power, and he makes the shepherd his prime minister. And I just love that story. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony Blair is his name. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We want to thank our guest for the 435th show of ROI, Dr. Jamie Terry, professor of anthropology at Durham University. We've been talking about the true age of fairy tales. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard on SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to the Find ROI Shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.